Before diving into our episode today, I want to start with a plug, a bit of self-promotion. Quite honestly, this is not something that comes naturally to me uh, nor to this podcast. I'd like you to subscribe to the Tempest Toss podcast and to persuade someone else you know also to subscribe. We started this podcast with the recognition that immigration is a hot-button political issue in this country, and it's going to be so in the 2020 campaign and election. But there's no podcast providing sustained and in-depth discussion of the immigration issues. And that's what we're trying to do here. And we very much hope to be able to increase understanding of immigration policy, refugee policy, what is really dividing the nation along these lines. So click the subscribe button or go to TempestToss.com and, and subscribe there and maybe suggest to someone you know that they do the same. If you like what we're doing, help spread the word about Tempest Tossed. This is Tempest Tossed, conversations on migration and mobility, and I'm Alex Alenikoff. Today we explore the movement to abolish ICE. ICE, of course, stands for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is a branch of the Department of Homeland Security, but it also stands for much more. For the Trump administration, ICE is a group of hard-edged immigration cops. They're arresting, detaining, deporting unauthorized migrants from the United States. But for migrant advocates, ICE is a cold-blooded national police unit that separates families and terrorizes communities. As Stephen Perlberg has reported for BuzzFeed, the hashtag Abolish ICE originated in a 2017 tweet by political commentator Sean McElwee. It has since, according to Perlberg, transformed into a rallying cry, an anti-Trump protest sign slogan, and an issue fomenting divisions inside the Democratic Party. The Abolish ICE movement has gained adherence in Congress and from one Democratic presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders. Other candidates have had to take notice of the movement, even if they do not fully support it. So Elizabeth Warren has a plan to reshape ICE from top to bottom. And Pete Buttigieg has called for a comprehensive review of ICE to see if it can be, in his words, better structured to accomplish its broad array of missions. Well, from tweet to presidential politics, our brave new world. But, but I digress. But exactly what abolish ICE means is a matter of debate. For some, both its proponents and its opponents, it has been a call for open borders. For others, it has served as a critique of harsh enforcement measures and a lack of controls over immigration officers operating in the field. Today, we speak with two people who have been deeply involved in the immigration world to try to get a fuller understanding of the hashtag Abolish ICE movement. First, we talk with Hiroshi Motomura, who is the Susan Westerberg Prager Professor of Law at the UCLA School of Law. Hiroshi is the leading voice and writer on immigration law and policy in the United States. And our second guest is human rights lawyer and activist Azadeh Shashahani. Azadeh is based in Atlanta, where she serves as legal and advocacy director for Project South. She's also been president of the National Lawyers Guild and director of the National Security Immigrants Rights Project for the ACLU of Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
Hiroshi Motomura, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So we're talking today about a, a slogan that's gained a lot of attention uh, around the country, uh, and the slogan is abolish ice. Uh, to understand what that means, we first sort of need to know what ice does. So tell us, what, what does ice do? Well, ICE is part of the Department of Homeland Security, um, created after uh, 9-11 in the early 2000s, and uh, it is responsible for immigration enforcement. But I think it's important to understand that ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, is responsible for enforcement inside the United States as opposed to at or near the border. So it is uh, involved in um, the arrest of uh, people who... uh, it wants to put into uh, removal or so in plain English deportation proceedings and the arrest of those individuals uh, involved in supervising their detention. And um, if they're judged to be uh, deportable from the United States, uh, then ICE is responsible for um, taking them out of the country. Hiroshi, it's sometimes said that um, ICE is a new agency. Does this mean that before there was ICE, there was no interior enforcement in the United States? Well, there's quite a bit of interior enforcement in the United States, but it was organized very differently administratively. Uh, When uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, was created, it took over immigration functions, um, not all of them, but it took over immigration functions from from agencies that had had those functions before. So there had been the Immigration Naturalization Service, and part of the Immigration Naturalization Service was responsible for uh, enforcement in the interior, and those functions went over to DHS and within DHS to ICE. And so there's uh, been an immigration enforcement for, in some sense, as long as there's been immigration law. Hiroshi, what do you understand uh, the slogan or the, the, the movement to abolish ICE to mean? Well, that's uh, something I've, 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 I've thought about, and I've not come up with a really good answer um, now, here's why. is because it could stand for at least three different things that are closely related, but I think they're distinct, and they're distinct both conceptually and politically. Uh, one is to um, abolish the way that ICE, the agency now, and, and other parts of DHS are enforcing immigration law. So this is probably the, the narrowest of the three, but it's very significant. It's saying no more family separations, uh, no more um, push to detain uh, as many people uh, as the law will allow, um, uh, no more uh, building a wall as opposed to um, other ways of thinking about immigration enforcement. So in other words, one way of understanding abolish ICE is let's end current enforcement practices as they, as they exist uh, under especially the Trump administration. Um, the, other, the other way to think about this is to um, go a little further and say, What's really wrong is the fact that we have an agency that is so focused on uh, enforcement as, um, as its primary function, as, as what takes up most of the budget dollars in the agencies. And we need to return to a system and, and an agency structure that, that, that combines uh, the benefits that you give with enforcement that you have um, to police those boundaries. And that what, what you need to have is an immigration agency that isn't uh, as focused on immigration. So that's kind of the intermediate version. And then you could take it um, uh, even further and say, well, what we really mean by abolish ICE is um, let's uh, really dial back immigration enforcement altogether. And if you take that to 
its variation somewhat further is say, well, we don't really need immigration enforcement. We really don't need immigration law. It becomes very close to a open borders um, or uh, uh, at least um, uh, uh, real skepticism of, of the national border in the, in, in the first place. And, and as I hear people talking about abolish ICE, um, I hear people taking any number of positions on that spectrum that I just tried to outline. So in an interview a little more than a year ago, um, you said that the uh, abolish ICE uh, slogan or movement is a double-edged sword. What did you mean by that? Well, I think it's a double-edged sword because I think there uh, can be a disconnect between um, the uh, positions um, uh, that 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 drive the abolish ice movement, and I'm thinking here of the the idea that abolish ice could easily be taken. Um, it's easily intended by some who support the abolish ice movement, and could be taken as a call for open borders. And it's a double-edged sword because um, a call for open borders is something that I, I think in the 2020 presidential election or in the 2018 uh, midterm elections that we had can be one of those positions that draws some um, intense support, but maybe a, a maybe a political liability. And yet, I think that abolish ICE, to the extent that it attacks, um, it criticizes some of the methods and practices of the Trump administration, is something that a lot of Americans would support. So. I think that the abolish ICE slogan, being as broad and capacious as it is, is easily cast as an open borders uh, argument and criticized that way. I think that makes it a political liability, even though it stands for some things that um, might be powerfully persuasive if, if cast somewhat differently. The language and the terminology uh, matters here, and the word abolish is a very a strong word. I'm also thinking about the word ICE. This was the name that the agency uh, chose to adopt when it was created. It liked its acronym and it liked the sense of being a, a hard agency, a, a tough enforcement agency. What do you what do you think about the use of the word ICE here? And maybe the uh, maybe the slogan ought to be "Melt ICE" as much as <laughs> "Abolish ICE." Yeah, I mean, "Abolish" of course uh, ties into um, other other uh, movements that generally think of themselves as. Is abolition. So there, there, there are folks who are arguing for um, abolition of uh, immigration detention, for example, that, that we shouldn't have uh, essentially incarcerate people while they're waiting for um, their deportation proceedings. It is a movement to abolish um, you know, incarceration, uh, criminal uh, conviction-based incarceration as we know it. You know, in terms of, of you know, ICE, um, as you say, I think there's a certain police culture. I remember going to visit with my um, students kind of going back into the back offices, getting a tour of the back offices of INS district offices. And I was struck that, you know, you had people who carried, two types of people who carried themselves very differently if you compare them to each other. One were the folks wearing pocket protectors and pencils and interviewing people and trying to decide whether they qualify for green cards. Then you had these people, guys, mostly guys, uh, some women, um, walking around the office uh, with guns. It's right that you know, ICE, I think they embrace this term because it, it sounds like something like a, like a police agency would in a, in a science fiction movie. So when I first heard the expression abolish ICE, I thought, well, this is uh, kind of odd and not very helpful 
um, suggestion because there will always need to be immigration enforcement in some way. If we have a, a rule of law, some people will not be entitled to be in the country. But the more I have thought about it and heard people talk about it, it strikes me that it is, uh, it, particularly in the three different ways you've described it, that it is really uh, an interesting uh, form of organizing that says there's really something very deeply wrong with the way uh, we're enforcing law, even before the Trump administration, the failure to legalize people who've been here for a long period of time, the high levels of deportations that impose a hardship. So I actually find that abolish ICE, even if not taken literally, has actually, you know, I think pushed the discussion forward on appropriate law enforcement tactics. I wonder if it's had any similar kind of effect for you. I think you're quite right. And I think it has had a similar effect because I think that the movement in whatever form we interpret it, um, I think it's been very valuable to instigate this conversation. It's a conversation that we need to have. Um, you know, my concern that this is a double-edged sword has less to do with the conversation that this instigates and more to do with the sort of what happens next, which is that, um, you know, I, I think I wish the Democratic presidential candidates would have a more coherent message that we're really for borders with justice. Um, uh, we're not for, for tearing down the border. From that perspective, I think it's been a, um, a, a very important conversation because uh, there's, there, are a lot, there are a lot of things deeply wrong with the immigration system. And I think that one of the things that is underlying this, the, the predicament that we're in, is that there's such a gap between the law as it's written and the law as actually lived out in communities and in the economy. Roshi, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. And now for our second conversation uh, with Azadeh Shashahani. Azadeh, it's great to be talking with you today. Thank you very much for having me. I wanted to start with your uh, immigration uh, story and, and how you became active in immigration activism. Yes, so I am an immigrant myself. I actually came to the U.S. 25 years ago at age 15 from Iran. And so I've always had um, an interest in uh, working with immigrant communities. And uh, I'm a lawyer by training. Uh, so I went to law school to do human rights work. But um, the idea I had about that work was to be placed somewhere in Geneva or The Hague and working on um, you know, human rights issues in other countries. But when I Graduated from law school, moved to North Carolina. This was 2004, so at the height of post-9-11 state repression, specifically um, targeting Muslim communities. I was looking for some type of a project or um, organization to help address the needs, the legal needs of the community, but I couldn't find anything. So I decided to uh, basically start a project myself. Um, and so I was um, working with the ACLU of North Carolina um, uh, from 2004 um, to about 2005, 2006. And um, then I moved to Georgia and, um, you know, I started with the ACLU of Georgia at the beginning. Um, and, um, this is 2007. So uh, in Georgia, at least, it was, um, again, at the height of the anti-immigrant crackdown. Um, and so, um, you know, I decided to um, continue working on the same issues, you know, with a broader focus um, that I was working on in North Carolina. So I 
basically, you know, is working with Muslim communities as well as immigrant communities. Um, um, and of course, that's the work I've been doing since. And um, Georgia, like many other places in the South, has seen a wave of anti-immigrant legislation, deportations, detention centers, um, you know, close collaboration between local police and ICE. So that's what I've been involved in supporting. So the um, abolish ICE uh, hashtag or movement, I guess we could say, um, has gained attention a- across the country. It's become quite controversial. What has it meant to you in your work uh, and to immigrants in Georgia? So for me, the first step to abolishing ICE, which I'm very much in favor of, um, this is um, an abusive agency with no accountability and it needs to go. But the first step to get there is to get rid of the detention centers and as a first step, the privately run detention centers. So in Georgia, currently, we have four immigration detention centers. All of them are run by private corporations, which means huge profits for the prison corporations that run these facilities and grave human rights violations. Um, So as just one example, in one of these detention centers, the Stewart Detention Center, which is the second largest immigration detention center in the country, we have had four deaths um, just in the past couple of years, two of them by suicide. So pretty similar situations. Um, Two men who were suffering from mental health issues were placed in solitary confinement and hung themselves. Um, after several days. So some people might say, um, but if, if you abolish ICE, then there'd be no immigration enforcement um, in the United States. But so clearly some people are in the country, they've entered illegally or they've uh, committed crimes that make them deportable. Um, wouldn't you need some kind of enforcement agency to, to enforce immigration laws of the United States? Well, there's a lot of conversations happening currently in the U.S. um, about um, borders. Um, Why is it that we have borders? How were these borders created? I would encourage folks to pay attention to the connections between these border enforcement operations and uh, white nationalism, white supremacy, and racism that has been in place for a very long time. And the question of immigration enforcement when did it become paramount? <laughs> when um, people of color started immigrating to the U.S., how come it was never a question when white folks from Europe were coming? I think we really need to push the boundaries and ask ourselves the forces that are behind putting forward and designing our immigration laws, like the Chinese Exclusion Act. The Muslim ban, you know, the most recent example of that, the, um, obviously the internment of Japanese Americans, even U.S.-born people of Japanese descent. So uh, my understanding you correctly that the Abolish ICE movement here is really a, a, a movement both for open borders and for uh, no deportations? Folks might have different interpretations of it. Um, I imagine that some elected officials may not be in favor of um, questioning our the necessity of borders to begin with. I'm assuming most everybody is in agreement that uh, this agency, ICE, needs to be 
abolished um, just because of the extent of the abuses that we're seeing on a daily basis um, in detention centers, um, you know, around the country, in, you know, enforcement operations. It has proven itself to be violent, um, overly aggressive, and again, with no accountability whatsoever. And we've seen this especially under Trump. Um, where the sense of impunity has really heightened. You know, I believe that ICE officials feel that there is no, um, based on the racist and xenophobic rhetoric coming from the Trump administration, that there is nobody going to hold them accountable if they continue to engage in abuses. If, if ICE were abolished, would you think there would have to be some other agency created in its place? Uh, obviously one that would operate under non-discriminatory rules and would follow uh, rules of due process and human rights and the like. But would you imagine there would have to be some kind of enforcement agency in the United States? Well, I mean, I would really like to see an agency that works with immigrant communities to create welcoming communities. It's important for us to question why is it that Anything related to immigration is housed within this Department of Homeland Security. I mean, that is definitely new. The three branches of the department, um, including the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, supposedly dealing with matters of naturalization and the like, are still housed within the Department of Homeland Security. So anything having to do with immigrants um, is viewed within this prism of Homeland security, as if immigrants are always to be viewed as risks to national security. So, that is a very problematic prism um, and framing of the issue. Um, and so, again, that would be the first step to abolish ICE. Um, and I would argue for the entire Department of Homeland Security um, to be abolished. Then we need to consider, I mean, we need to um, think about what kind of framework do we need to work with immigrants in our communities um, so that there are there is a welcoming community created for immigrants across the U.S.? I mean, I would look at some of the sanctuary um, measures um, that are uh, in place in different parts of the country now, largely in response to Trump. But even before that, so in Georgia, for example, we've been working since 2004 and we have um, now we have seven localities um, in Georgia that have policies in place limiting their collaboration with ICE. Elsewhere in the country where they have maybe more progressive policies, um, they have been able to go further in terms of you know, their sanctuary policies. So that would be a model to look for uh, nationally. Um, so that the whole philosophy behind looking at immigrants as a threat and as a homeland security risk is challenged, and instead we we start appreciating immigrants for making the contributions that they make to our communities um, as members and contributors to our communities, which the current framework is very much not doing that. It does seem to be a big disconnect between the rhetoric at the federal, the national 
level, which has been very negative towards immigration and immigrants under the Trump administration, uh, and the policies of a, a number of local communities who are actually living with immigrants and understand the benefits that immigrants provide to those uh, communities. I'm, I'm wondering whether there, besides simply not cooperating with ICE, are there other um, kinds of policies and practices that you would think would be particularly important in terms of creating uh, the welcoming environment that you're describing? Well, um, for one thing, um, shutting down detention centers. Um, so we had a positive example, the city of Atlanta recently, after a year's long campaign, finally agreed uh, to uh, stop their relationship with ICE. Um, it's important to recall the history. Um, so Atlanta actually declared itself to be a welcoming um, city towards immigrants a number of years ago, and they established this whole welcoming unit. Um, you know, I myself could not really figure out what they were doing aside from announcing soccer games, you know, which was a nice thing to do. But this was at the same time as the city was making millions of dollars of profit off of detention of immigrants. Um, and so we continued to call out that hypocrisy um, and um, continued the do to document the conditions at the Atlanta City Detention Center, which were horrific. And um, finally, um, over the summer of 2018, where uh, mothers were being separated from their children um, at the border, the mayor was genuinely moved, I believe, and finally responded to the calls um, and provided an opening to basically ending this relationship with ICE. Um, and so, you know, after we put out a report um, and the campaign heated up and various folks detained at the Atlanta City Detention Center got involved, but have now been deported to all over the world. They called in, um, they um, asked the mayor to go ahead and shut this place down. So finally, um, in the fall of 2018, the mayor did agree to do that. Um, and so now there is no relationship between the city of Atlanta and ICE as, um, as far as detention of immigrants at that facility goes. And it's, you know, it's a huge step. So Atlanta's kind of a, a, a blue city and a fairly uh, red state. Uh, I wonder, as, as you carry out your work and make these kinds of uh, arguments um, in Georgia, do you face uh, significant opposition and do you ever feel personally threatened? So yeah, in Gwinnett County, Gwinnett is another 287G county. As a reminder, 287 is a local police collaboration with ICE um, program. So we wanted to have a forum on 287G in Gwinnett County and an email was sent out on the part of anti-immigrant forces to their followers, um, you know, potentially hundreds of people, that um, these people are coming and they want to speak out their minds, and so we should all show up armed. So, um, and Georgia is an open carry state. Um, so I think the aim was clearly to scare us away, especially because the majority of the speakers on the panel were immigrants, including myself. So they wanted us to basically um, be forced into canceling the event, and um, we decided not to do that. You know, it is our right as um, as Americans and as people living in this country to exercise our freedom of speech and our First Amendment rights. And so we showed up um, in force and um, and spoke out about the program. Of course. 
um, some of the anti-immigrant people did show up and they were armed, but we had our own security mechanisms in place. Um, it is a shame that we have to do that and we have to face um, you know, these types of threats and these types of risks for wanting to solely speak out our mind about the issue, about an issue of public importance. Um, but this is the kind of atmosphere that unfortunately we're facing right now, thanks largely to Trump and um, you know, the rhetoric and the policies of this administration that are um, racist and xenophobic and have um, basically given a green light to these types of um, threats against folks uh, speaking out and doing work on immigrants' rights. Azadeh Shah Shahani, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. You've been listening to Tempest Tossed, a production of the Zolberg Institute on Migration and Mobility at the New School. Our engineer is Sahil Ansari at Dodge 112, and theme music composed by Eli Alenikov. We would welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. And you can reach us by emailing us at tossedtempest at gmail.com. That's tossedtempest, all one word, at gmail.com.